Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and Corridor Aesthetics.com. It's your News Buzz edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Coming up in just a moment, I'll talk with Mike Steenhook um, of the Soy Transportation Coalition about the really serious problems that the historically low water levels in the Mississippi are creating for barge traffic during this harvest season, uh, getting our Midwest crops to world markets. But first, last night in Sioux City, former President Donald Trump endorsed Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley uh, as well as Governor Reynolds. Uh, Trump energized his voter base in this heavily conservative part of our state. IPR's Clay Masters joins me now, our senior political reporter and Morning Edition host. Hi, Clay. Hey, Ben. Now, our uh, colleague Kendall Crawford was actually at the rally. You have covered uh, a number of Trump rallies over the years. Uh, you monitored this rally last night um, because we'll talk about it in just a moment. You are also covering uh, the Franken rally in, in Des Moines. Let's focus, first of all, on that rally up in Sioux City. Give us a sense of uh, of what it was like. I assume it included, included all the trappings of a typical Trump rally, attacks on the news media. And I understand that the uh, U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, the firebrand Republican and election denier from Georgia was warming up the crowd as well. That's right. A lot of these rallies are, are pretty similar. They all kind of blur together. Uh, you, you know, you go as a fan of Tr- Donald Trump to hear th- the hits, right? Like I've always said that these are kind of like concerts where there's a bunch of people that are lined up early. Uh, they're there for hours. Uh, they come from all around. And the former president talks about what he sees as accomplishments during his time as president. And then he also, uh, the new thing in these rallies from when I was covering him more regularly when he's been running for president is, uh, of course, talking about the election lies about the 2020 presidential election. Um, He continues to to push these falsehoods and uh, people are applauding it. You know, I was paying attention to some of the, the... right-wing web streams that were airing this, people ahead of time, uh, really trying to stoke kind of a a fear about voter integrity, which at the same time, you're seeing these uh, candidates here in Iowa that are at the top of the ticket appearing with the former president. And the secretary of state in Iowa is a Republican and, and regularly is talking about the integrity of Iowa's elections. So there's kind of this dissonance uh, between what the former president is saying and uh, what our own Secretary of State, who is a Republican, is saying in the state as well. So the, the rally uh, was very much what you expect. Uh, as you mentioned, Kendall Crawford was there and covering it. Her reporting this morning uh, was talking about how he continues to kind of flirt with uh, another run for president, uh, which, of course, he was doing last night in Sioux City. And, you know, Iowa is still at the the top of the calendar for the Republicans as we think about uh, 2024, which unfortunately is something that we always have to think about the next presidential election in this state. Let's focus in on his endorsements, uh, the ostensible reason he came to Iowa, even though it turned out it was mostly about his uh, about uh, President, former President Trump and his possible run for 2024. He was here to endorse Senator Grassley and Governor Reynolds. Both were on hand, joined him on stage. What can you tell us uh, about uh, those endorsements? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a, a doubling down of endorsements, because if you remember a year ago, he was in Des Moines and endorsed Senator Chuck Grassley. He had minimal opposition in his primary race against state Senator uh, Jim Carlin, who's actually from Sioux City. 
Uh, but uh, Trump was there to endorse Grassley a year ago, and he also endorsed uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. But this was a reminder. It, it was strategic in my mind to be in the fourth congressional district because that is uh, a very uh, Republican district. It's the most Republican district in the state. Uh, Republicans really outnumber Democrats by a, a large margin. And so he was there driving out that turnout for people he knows support him. Um, of course, he was there to talk about himself. Um, but you were also seeing him bring Senator Grassley onto the stage, bring Governor Kim Reynolds onto the stage so that they would be together on that stage, which is strategic because we look at the, in my mind, you're looking at the the Senate race between Chuck Grassley and the Democrat retired Navy Admiral Mike Franken. And, you know, there's a lot of information out there about Iowa's uh, split third, a third, a third, roughly for the Republican, Democratic and no party voters in the state. But a lot of those no party voters are uh, fairly partisan in their their mind. There's there's a very small sliver of the, the voters here that are going to be persuaded to not vote for the, the, the person that they already like in their in the party that they support. And so with just the two of them on the race, uh, there's no libertarian candidate that might peel away some of those Republican support for Chuck Grassley. And so a lot of what might happen for Mike Franken's very narrow path to victory that may be there would be a lot of Republicans turning out to the to the polls and just not voting for Chuck Grassley. So that was a, a long windup to say having Grassley on stage alongside with him, Donald Trump's not on the ballot. A lot of Donald Trump voters in Iowa's 4th Congressional District, this is a way to get those people to turn out and actually vote for, for the senator from Iowa. And Kendall Crawford has provided us with some audio from the rally. This is uh, uh, Senator Grassley's uh, reaction, uh, comments, uh, a couple of them uh, following the endorsement of, of former President Trump. You've got to get your family and friends to go vote if we want to make a big difference and get a Congress that'll turn things around and stop these bad policies. So that was Senator Grassley last night in, in Sioux City. Let's pivot down to the event that you were at in Des Moines, U.S. Senate candidate Mike Franken. What can you tell us about that event? Mike Franken has, in the final weeks of this campaign ahead of Election Day, is continuing to do what he has been doing from the get-go. Uh, he's meeting with voters, traveling across the state, he likes to talk about how he is not being supported by national Democrats out in Washington, uh, which, you know, Iowa has long been seen as a, a as a purple state, and it's been trending more and more Republican over the last decade. And he talks about how he can put country over party and people over politics. And in Des Moines last night at Franklin Junior High, uh, he was uh, talking about the former president who was up there in Sioux City. So, you know, there's a, there's a big thing happening in the state of Iowa today. It's probably not this. We're probably the second fiddle. Uh, up in Sioux City, or as a representative from Georgia called it, Sioux Falls, <laughs> there's, a, there's a hoedown. But the issue is, the difference between the two campaigns, frankly, is we bring together. We don't divide. You can't win with 45% of the vote in the state. And you can't be the senator for only 45% of, of the members in this, of the state. 
And so Mike Franken continued to talk about the things that he's been stressing on the road as he's been campaigning, uh, protecting democracy following the insurrection on January 6th, 2021, talking a lot about a women, a woman's right to choose when it comes to abortion rights, reproductive rights, and uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and talking about how wanting to make Iowa the progressive state that it once was. Uh, that did a, a number of things like uh, lead the way in marriage equality in the country. So Mike Franken, uh, not resting in these final days as we lead up uh, to Election Day on Tuesday. Right. And as we can hear um, from the mere fact of these uh, rallies, President Trump coming to Iowa to rally the base, it will be turnout that will decide uh, these races, isn't it? That's right. How, how many of our listeners just always feel like they're hearing us say it's all about turnout? Well, it is because every single election year, it is all about turnout. And there's a lot at stake in this midterm election. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see, especially this Senate race, to see if these kind of very close polls pan out on, on Election Day. Because if you remember, uh, it was, there was an Iowa poll just ahead of the 2020 presidential election, where for months we had been seeing that uh, Senator Joni Ernst was in a, a tight race against Teresa Greenfield, that uh, former President Donald Trump was in a tight race with now President Joe Biden. And then that Iowa poll showed that that wasn't the case anymore. It was an outlier. And then on Election Day in Iowa, we all remember what happened, right? It was it was a very good Republican year for them. And uh, that's kind of this last stretch is where people just kind of settle. And we'll see if that's shifted at all. Right. We've been hearing so much about polls. The only poll, though, that really counts is your ballot <laughs> counted in early voting or on Election Day. A reminder to get out, exercise your civic uh, duty and responsibility. Uh, Clay Masters, IPR Morning Edition host and senior political reporter. Thanks for your observations and your, your excellent reporting, Clay. You bet. Thanks, Ben. And a quick plug, we got the uh, midterm election voter guide at our website, IPR.org. Everything you need to know is there. Thanks, Ben. It's your Friday News Buzz edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Well, if you've been along the bank of a river in your area or looked over a bridge recently, you know how scary low our rivers and streams are. A severe drought here in the Midwest and high plains has shrunk the Mississippi River to historic low levels, and uh, this has caused some real problems. It's grounded barges. It's backed up grain at terminals in this uh, central part of the country, of course, right during harvest time. Uh, let's um, get some details from Mike Steenhook. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition that's based in Ankeny. Mike, hello. Hey, Ben. It's good to be with you. Good to have you with us to describe this situation. Now, of course, the Mississippi is sort of a superhighway carrying Midwest grain to the Gulf of Mexico. From there, it's exported across the globe. Give us a sense how dire the situation is moving crops. Well, what's essentially happened is you've taken this maritime highway, which is kind of normally behaves like a multi-lane interstate, and now it's just simply a two-lane highway. Barge traffic is still proceeding, but just at a significantly reduced flow. And, you know, when you have low water conditions on the Mississippi River, which we do, it really impacts barge transportation in two ways. Number one is channel depth, and number two is channel width. With channel depth, you can't get as much freight per barge out of a concern that if you do so, it'll scrape the bottom. You could encounter a, a grounding of that barge, which we've had uh, multiple occasions of that throughout the system. 
So you can't get as much freight, and in this case, bushels of soybeans uh, per barge. And then number two, with channel width, with less water in that shipping channel, the navigation channel becomes more restricted. So as a result, you can't put as many barges together lashing them together to comprise one unit. So when you put those two things together, re restriction of channel depth, restriction of channel width, it has a profound impact on the economics of barge transportation, which obviously has an impact on agriculture's profitability. Right. And and give us a sense, we'll talk about beans in a moment, but give us a sense of all the farm-related products going up and down the Mississippi. Yeah, you know, with barge transportation, there's not a lot that people purchase from the grocery store shelf or the department store shelf that's transported by barge, but so many of the inputs, so many of the components that make the U.S. economy what it is, is transported by barge. So obviously agricultural products, but that, that also includes things like fertilizer, but it also includes a lot of energy products, a lot of chemicals, salt for winter road application that state departments of transportation purchase. So a lot of these just important inputs and components that are essential to the U.S. economy transported by barge. In a normal year, Mike, how much of the bean crop, say from Iowa, from the Midwest, is, is moved by barge down the Mississippi? Yeah, so 62% of, of U.S. soybean exports are transported by barge. So in the, in the journey, Will, will originate in states like Iowa and other states that, that are adjacent to the inland waterway system, will we'll head down to an export terminal near New Orleans where it's then in turn put on an ocean vessel. 60% of U.S. soybean exports leave from that Mississippi Gulf region near New Orleans, 59% of corn exports. So by far the number one launching point for both commodities. So the reason why you know, farmers in the middle of the country can be so competitive on the international marketplace is because you've got this very efficient transportation system, this maritime highway that can move product very economically and very environmentally sustainably as well. So it's really one of the secrets to our success. So obviously we get really concerned when you've got these low water conditions. Okay, the question is what to do now or what is being done now? Are there alternatives, options, remedies, uh, dredging? Uh, t tell us what's going on. Yeah, and unfortunately, a scarcity of water is the culprit. An abundance of water will be the elixir, and that's that really is the, the the reality to all of this. But there is has been and continues to be a pretty considerable amount of dredging that has been occurring uh, throughout the whole system. There has been barges that need to be freed because they've had groundings. There's sediment buildup that all this, and then there's shallow areas that have been exposed due to these low water conditions. So that's something that's going to continue to be done. But, you know, dredging is something that will only make improvements at the margins. It really is this, we need additional water is what the real solution is going to be. So as a result of this, farmers are asking themselves the questions. For those who normally deliver to the river, they're, they're asking themselves, well, what's my option B? What's my option C? That's going to be different based on where you are. Uh, for a lot of farmers in Iowa, fortunately, we've got a very strong and robust livestock industry. Uh, we're the number one pork-producing state, the number one egg-producing state. So those, those animals do consume a considerable amount of soybean meal, which is derived from soybeans after you process them. So farmers in Iowa do have a number of, of options. Uh, other areas of the country, your option is to deliver to the river or to deliver to the river. And so those farmers are going to be more exposed to the, the challenges with the inland waterway system. The net result of this is, 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 is negative for the whole industry. So obviously some farmers will be more adversely affected than others, but it is a, a major concern for our industry as a whole.
Mm-hmm. I haven't heard you mention uh, semis. Um, grain is not transported on semis, or is that an option? Yeah, you know, other options can certainly include you know, our freight rail system, but also our trucking. But, you know, one of the things is that you can, you get 900 bushels of soybeans per truck. You get over 50,000 bushels of soybeans for one barge. And then when you wow. attach 15 of those together, you're well in excess of 80, 800,000 bushels. Mm. So, you know, the, the, the economics of trucking is, it's more convenient, but the economics are profoundly different. So, uh, you know, the ability of just simply transferring the, the tonnage that's transported by barge onto trucking is going to be quite limited. You can do it to an extent with rail, but an important backdrop to, to all of this is our overall supply chain uh, has got a lot of attention over the last couple of years. This remains under a considerable amount of stress, and that includes our freight rail system. So we're having some challenges with our freight rail um, industry as well. So, you know, some of these, you know, farmers and agriculture, we're looking for lifelines. Some of these other modes of transportation are not as well positioned to provide that as they normally are. Mm-hmm. How is this affecting the bottom line, uh, grain prices, uh, profits? Well, with, with the barge situation as it is, it's put significant upward pressure on on the on barge freight rates. So, you know, we're we're seeing a 397% increase in barge freight rates from this year to last year. So, significant cost increase. Wow. Mm. And so then the question is, where are those costs passed on to? Is it passed on to the customer? Is it absorbed by the actual shipper, the barge shipper, or is it passed on to the farmer in the form of a lower price that's offered Per bushel to those farmers at that point of sale. And a lot of these costs are indeed passed on to the farmer in the form of a lower per bushel, per bushel cost. The farmers are, in many re- respects, are paying the cost of the freight. Uh, so it is something that does eat into farmer profitability. So it's, it's just a really good example. These transportation issues, a lot of times people regard them at the 30,000 foot perspective. What does this have to do to my, my personal reality? Well, this is an example that has very local, tangible relevance to a farmer's wallet with these, with these challenges with the inland waterway system. What are discussions like when we contemplate uh, this could continue, the drought continue? Uh... Yeah, it's, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you look at the drought monitor for the United States, what the moral of that story is that so much of U.S. farm ground is one big dry sponge. And so any kind of precipitation that does occur will largely be absorbed into the farm ground, which is good for the farm ground, but that doesn't, that means there, it's going to take a lot of sustained precipitation for water to make their way into the streams and then into the rivers to really elevate water levels. So, um, so it's going to obviously remain uh, a concern. And so farmers will continue to be asking themselves, well, what's my option B? What's my option C, my option D? And and so we are expecting that there is going to be some additional pressure that's going to be imposed in the system. You know, the metaphor I use is we're attaching a garden hose to a fire hydrant. We've got significant amount of production that farmers have harvested, but our transportation system can't fully accommodate it like it normally does. So as a result, pressure is being built. Yeah, that's an image we'll keep in our minds. Um... Well, we hope it improves somehow. Uh, Mike Steenhook, uh, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition uh, in Ankeny. Mike, uh, thank you for your perspective on this uh, dire situation, moving grain crops out of the Midwest to their world market.
Well, thanks for having me, Ben. My pleasure. It's your Friday News Buzz edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Let's get a quick update of the weather now. I'm joined now by Jeff Zog. He's a hydrologist with the National Weather Service in Des Moines. Hi, Jeff. Hi there, Ben. A welcome sight on our radar, a storm system moving through the state with some rain. What parts of the state will benefit most from today's rain? Well, much of the state will actually benefit from the rainfall, especially about the southeast half. By the time the rainfall is all said and done on Saturday, about the southeast half of the state will see a good one to two inches with possible amounts of three or more inches across parts of east central and northeast Iowa. Now, our parched landscape, as our our previous guest pointed out, is just uh, so so dry it's it's like a very dry sponge so this is just going to be swallowed up by not not make it into our rivers and streams right well a lot of the rainfall will be soaked up by the ground as you said because it's going to be uh, very welcome however we will see some rises on area rivers across the state especially the southeast half where the heaviest rainfall is expected to fall the smaller streams and rivers will see the biggest rises but even the mississippi we know the mississippi has been low we'll see some modest rises on the mississippi nothing significant but that river will rise a little bit too Mm-hmm. We could use a few more st- storms like this to get those levels up, couldn't we? We we definitely could. This uh, rainfall is, is definitely welcome. It's going to help uh, charge the soil up a little bit, but we could definitely use more. The month of October for much of the state saw half or even less than half of the normal precipitation for the month, so uh, it's uh, still fairly dry. Yeah. Talk about um, other parts of your your weather data here recently because you know we've been a lot of us have been out in shirt sleeves and some shorts <laughs> out there during November how how unique is this it is a somewhat uh, uh abnormal to have those warm temperatures that we had especially on on Thursday uh, across the state but uh, with the cold front moving across the state we'll see a return to uh uh, cooler temperatures, closer to normal. In fact, it was kind of interesting uh, yesterday at, uh, well, this morning actually, one o'clock in the morning here at the office in Johnston, we were uh, you know, fairly cool and the uh, Des Moines airport was 13 degrees warmer uh, just over the space of about 14 miles. Just shows you how strong this cold front is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so give us uh, uh, as long of a range of a forecast as you can. Uh, outlook for more rain or what type of weather in the in the coming weeks here, the rest of November? Well, for for the next week or so, this rainfall event that we're seeing right now is is probably going to be the the heaviest rainfall that we're seeing um, across the state. May see some chances here or there, but again, in the short term, this this rainfall will be the the heaviest rainfall that we're expecting across the state. Okay, thank you for the quick update, Jeff Sog, hydrologist with the National Weather Service in Des Moines. Until next time, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Ben, for having me. Coming up after a short break, a Brazilian resident of Iowa who takes his voting very seriously. We also celebrate a century of radio with another edition of What Dennis Found in the Basement. Dennis Reese and Tim Walsh dig into our basement of radio artifacts once again. Stay tuned as your Friday News Buzz continues from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at CorridorVein and CorridorAesthetics.com.
Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. This coming Tuesday evening, I'll be anchoring the IPR-NPR coverage of election results. I'll check in with our reporters. They'll be fanned out across the state to bring you the latest results and reactions. As you know, according to polls, could be a very late night determining who wins these races in some cases. And it might be a very good idea to vote early if you haven't already. Make sure your voice is heard this election. Cast your ballot early through Monday. Then, of course, Election Day, Tuesday, just four days from today. Now, according to a recent Pew Research Center survey, 72% of registered voters say they're extremely or very motivated to vote this year. 65% say it really matters which party controls Congress. Well, based on past midterms, our turnout here in the U.S. will be somewhere around 60% of eligible voters. Well, think about that. Almost half of those of voting age not taking a few minutes to vote. Well, this week, longtime IPR listener and Iowa resident Mauro Heck took more than a few minutes to vote in the elections in his native Brazil. Mauro uh, drove with two of his adult daughters from Iowa City to Chicago. That's about a three- to four-hour drive each way. Mauro joins me now. Welcome to the program. Hello, Ben. You took an entire day to drive to the Brazilian consulate in Chicago and back. Why was it so important to, to cast your vote in the Brazilian elections? Well, I felt particularly important about this election. I'm also of the philosophy that if you do not vote, someone else will vote for you. And uh, if you don't vote, you cannot complain. Yeah. Your daughters have uh, dual citizenship, U.S. and Brazilian citizenship? That's correct. Yes, yeah. they've they've been there uh, several times and have a connection with the family and therefore with the country. Did it take any convincing uh, on your part to have them invest that much time to vote in Brazilian elections? No, as a matter of fact, they jumped uh, right on the idea. And uh, so we all went and it was a fun trip. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was at the Brazilian consulate in Chicago that you actually cast your votes? Yes, right downtown Chicago and uh, on Michigan Avenue. Mm-hmm. Was that a, a memorable moment when you finally came to, to cast those votes uh, with your daughters? Well, yeah, in a way. I mean, this I felt particularly important about uh, this election. Besides, uh, you know, uh, I have the right, so I have to exercise the right. And in a way, I, I feel it's not only a civil as well as a moral obligation that we all have with uh, society, no matter what we believe in. Mm -hmm. Were you uh, and your daughters particularly excited about one of the candidates in Brazil? Yeah, yeah. The current candidate were not pleased for for several years. So, you know, we felt like this was more important than the average election as well. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're very happy with the outcome in Brazil. Yeah, I mean, it was close, but yes, indeed, I'd rather have 
this guy than the previous one or that's still in power till January 1st. So hopefully things will take a slight turn to the better in uh, Brazil. Yeah. Watching the aftermath of this election in Brazil, it looks like the comment, it seems like some similar dynamics at work in Brazil as here in the U.S., namely many who do not accept verified election results. That's correct. That's, you know, there was even some serious talk about them uh, not wanting to give up power, which resembles some (laughs) of what happens uh, in the U.S. recently. So, uh, yeah, but I think the international community also came together really fast in supporting the results of the election. And I think the current president has had really no choice uh, after so much support uh, elsewhere. Yeah. And remind us, um, unlike the U.S., our democracy is, you know, in the neighborhood of 250 years old. Brazil is a young democracy, uh, civilian government restored in the 1980s after many years of a military regime. Right. I my first twenty first years before I came to the U.S. Uh, to study uh, were under military dictatorship, so I never knew what it was to vote. So that changes things a little bit psychologically as well. Right. You you don't take voting for granted. That's right. I mean, you want to exercise that that right. You know, uh, the issues are important, and if you don't help decide, somebody else will. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote that we've heard so often from Benjamin Franklin uh, during the years founding our country. Uh, he was uh, asked to uh, what do we have, a republic or a monarchy? Franklin replied, a republic, if you can keep it. <laughs> if you can keep <laughs> yeah. it, right? right? So it's on all our shoulders to keep it, right? Absolutely. Everybody got to do its share. And, uh, you know, if we are part of it, we feel uh, better in life as well. Yeah. Mauro, any last uh, brief words for those listening who are not really sure it's worth their time to vote? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, the issues are important wherever you live, and I would encourage anyone to exercise that right and do it. Okay, get out there and vote. Iowa City resident Mauro Heck uh, recounting his vote in Chicago at the consulate in uh, for Brazil in uh, to vote in his native country. Mauro, thank you for these observations and your experience. You're welcome. Thank you. It's your Friday News Buzz edition of River to River from Iowa Public Radio News. I'm Ben Kiefer. The history of two of our stations here in uh, at Iowa Public Radio, WOI and WSUI, they stretch back, imagine that, over a century of radio here in Iowa. So we've been celebrating their 100th birthdays in various ways here at IPR and here on River to River. And you know, that's the cue for another in our series called... What Dennis Found in the Basement. My guests, uh, once again in the studio for this series, Dennis Reese. Yes, he's the Dennis mentioned in the title. Dennis Reese, retired IPR midday host, longtime collector of radio artifacts. Um, Tim Walsh is with us as well, historian, director emeritus of the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and Museum. Tim and Dennis, welcome, welcome back to the studio. Well. Thanks, Glad ben. to be back. Yep. I'm so eager to find out what you have discovered in the basement. And for those who haven't heard this series, uh, the Iowa Public Radio station in Iowa City has a basement. 
and we have all kinds of, how would you say, Dennis, radio nostalgia artifacts, yeah, yeah. That some sorted, some unsorted. You're in the process together with Tim of sorting through, making mm-hmm. sense of a lot of these artifacts that stretch back decades. That's right. That's what this series is about. Now comes the question, what have you found this time in the basement? A tape with an interview, 1962 by WSUI Program Director Larry Walkoff with the Smothers Brothers. From Television City in Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen, meet the Smothers Brothers. Oh, I wish much. everybody could see the smile on all of our faces when you hear that. Uh, oh, that when we were that, young. When, we, when yeah. we were young. Now, we're going to have to, before we get to that interview you mentioned, Dennis, sort of talk about the Smother, Smothers Brothers as a phenomenon. Um, take us back to that, that, that time. Perhaps, uh, Tim, you can take us back to that time and, and what they meant so that the younger set listening know what <laughs> the Smothers Brothers were to us. Well, there were really kind of two stories of the Smothers Brothers. The first, of course, is the earlier story, the origins. Uh, the, the brothers were comedians who also played folk music and were quite good, actually, as folk musicians in an era in the early 60s. People will remember the folk movement. They might remember a television show called Hootenanny. Uh, and in fact, at college campuses all over the country, there were folk concerts, and the Smothers Brothers were part of it. But what made them different was that they were also comedians in an era of great comedy. People still know about Bob Newhart, of course, from Mm -hmm. television, but he was a great stand-up comedian at the time. Lenny Bruce, Mort Saul, all great comedians, and the Smothers Brothers were part of it. They fused both the folk music tradition and the comedy tradition and were very popular on television and on college campuses. All right, and, and we, we have a, some archive material before we get to that interview. L- let's have another taste of the, the Smothers Brothers. I think you have some. You found an archive song that they well, often yeah, they, recorded? As Tim mentioned, uh, of course, they were comedians. They were cutting-edge comedians. Eventually, they got booted off of CBS because they got too satirical, too critical of the Nixon administration. But they were very talented folk singers. Uh, in 1962, when they were in Iowa City, they had a new album out. One of the songs they loved to play, interestingly enough, was uh, kind of a funny, odd song called Boil the Cabbage. Boil that cabbage down, boys, turn that whole cake around. The only song we sing. What was that? It was a little jazz. <laughs> Very little jazz. Just wanted to make the point that I oh, all right. soul. You got what? Soul. That's soul? That is soul. Oh. How nice. Filet of soul. Filet of soul. 
Okay, so that gives us a good, another good sense of what uh, what the Smothers Brothers, uh, Dick and Tommy, uh, were about here. Now let's get to the main event of this episode, which was uh, the Smothers Brothers coming to Iowa, Dennis. Well, yeah, this was a tape I found in the basement, of course, where everything is. An interview with program director Larry Walkoff, who was program director in the 50s and 60s. The tape was labeled, as I discovered, thank goodness, and it was an interview with Walkoff with the Smothers Brothers before their IMU appearance in 1962, they appeared before a packed house, and they gave Larry Walkoff about a 12-minute interview. We're going to hear just a couple of minutes of it. You uh, have been appearing, I suspect, at universities and colleges. To, uh, is this the best type of audience for you to play for? Do they like your humor the best? It's not. It's hard to say. A good college crowd audience is very fine, and they're very up-to-date on everything we do. But then when we go to, say, like the Crystal Palace, where we'll be in... December. That audience there is so hip and so ready that it's hard to say that this audience isn't as good as a college audience, even though it's a club. Can you do the same show at a club that you would do for a college audience? Almost, but not quite. Because the college audience, you have to use a little bit of discretion because you may, you may, a little bit, because you have to, you may please the uh, students, but you won't please the faculty. We've gotten uh, kicked off of two campuses by doing our regular nightclub act. Is that right? Yes, at a... uh, Vassar and at uh, Dominican uh, School for Monks. I can understand that. But Tommy mugs quite a bit. And you look at his face and he gets a lot of laughs because of his facial expressions. That's a communist lie. Is it a lie that you use your face or that uh, you mug? I I use my mug (laughs) to face a lot of people. (laughs) He's trying to be difficult because sometimes he he tries to uh, think and he gets in a lot of trouble. Do you do you think often? Yeah, quite a bit, and I'm very quick, sharp like a tack, fast, quick. This is a snapping, a, of, the snapping of the fingers. You missed that because I was mugging my face at the same time. <laughs> yes, I was watching your face. <laughs> what precious archive material, then WSUI program director Larry Walkoff interviewing the um, Dick and Tommy Smothers, the Smothers Brothers, in 1962, before they gave a performance at the Iowa Memorial Union on the University of Iowa campus. And unfortunately, that event, we don't have, no, to no, our knowledge, no. no recording of that event. But that is a precious bit Isn't it of, great? And of course, it was all ad lib. And, and what you're getting is a lot of the sort of banter that you would have uh, had uh, during the act when he was uh, when the two brothers were on stage at the at the union so you get a real flavor and the the jokes still make you laugh you know it's just one they of those absolutely do. and they were 24 and 25 years old yeah. at the time that's amazing way way before their tv show <laughs> yeah to close here, you, you talked about the end of the Smothers Brothers being popular, being kicked off the network. T- Tim, tell us, they were just too counterculture, too— well, They were very careful in the early 60s as their career was just starting to, to make sure that they were doing what the audience expected of them. They weren't challenging them. Uh, there's another part where Larry asked them if they, they use topical or, or humor, and they say no. They're very careful to keep things kind of on the straight and narrow. By the time they moved into television— they were using the show to make political statements. And that's when, when entertainment and politics clash is when he, they got in trouble with the censors and the CBS network. Uh, it's still pointed to, however, as a, as a beacon of free speech on television. Fascinating. Mm. What Dennis found in the basement this time, Dennis Reese and Tim Walsh with us. We're going to listen to a little bit of uh, the uh, 
opening music to the Smothers Brothers, which will be recognized by many of our listeners. Until next time, Tim and Dennis, uh, we'll look forward to what you find in the basement next time. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but a lot of uh, building anxiety connected with this election. I think the perfect antidote, or at least somewhat of an antidote, would be to have um, Cece Mitchell groove us into the weekend. Hi, Cece. Hey, Ben. <laughs> Uh, let's see, what have you got for us on this um, weekend going into our midterm election? Sure. I've got a couple of the tracks. Uh, the first one is a new single from two big indie rock powerhouses, uh, Andrew Bird. He's got a pretty successful new album out, and Phoebe Bridgers, who closed out last year's Hinterland. Um, it's a pretty sweet, pretty kind of solemn song. It's set to the words of an Emily Dickinson poem. So here's... I felt a funeral in my brain by Andrew Bird and Phoebe Bridger. I felt a funeral in my brain And mourners to and fro Tread and tread until it seems The sense was breaking through And when we all were seated A service like a drum Beating, beating till I thought My mind was going on Mind was growing, and then I heard them lift a box and creep across my soul with the same boots to let again and space space began to talk. Felt a funeral in my brain, Andrew Bird with uh, Phoebe Bridgers. Nice pick there, Cece. We have time for one more. So this next song, you know, Studio One Tracks is an indie alternative program, but we can't course, really talk about the state of music nowadays without talking about the biggest album in the country and the world right now, which is the new Taylor Swift album, Midnight. It's set a bunch of records already and um one of the songs actually features an artist an indie artist that we play quite a bit on studio one track so lana del rey so here's taylor swift with lana del rey her track snow on the beach one night a few moon 
Swift with Snow on the Beach featuring Lana Del Rey. Thanks for that um, input there. We'll go out with it. Uh, Cece Mitchell, thank you very much. Remind us how people can tune in to IPR Studio One. Studio One Tracks is six nights a week at 7 p.m., Monday through Saturday. And then we've got Studio One All Access, Saturday afternoons at 1 and Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Thank you so much, Cece Mitchell. Have a good one, Ben. Today's River to River, produced by Danny Gear, with help from Sam McIntosh. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Have a wonderful weekend. Saucers from another planet Now I'm all for you like Janet Can this be a real thing? Can I? Are we falling like snow at the beach? Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com.